Hello and welcome to How Many Geese. I'm Jack Baddams. And I'm Roddy Shaw. And if you're looking for a nature podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously, then we are the natural selection on today's show. There's a lot of people who want to escape capitalism and live like a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing tall enough that a squirrel will fall off it or jump off it and die. A chimpanzee would stab you in the back for the ring. Yeah, it'd clunk some rocks together, put a stick in a termite hill and be like, I got you a snack. And then the next day it'd just rip your arm off. I've got a little something that I want to say. I don't know what to do with this information. And it's not something that's going to spin into like a big segment. I've just got to get this out of my head. That feels very famous last words. So, uh, I learned this a couple of days ago. And I just need to tell someone, you, the listeners, anyone. Okay. <laughs> okay. You may have heard of this because I don't know if this is a thing that other people know that I've just not been aware of. Right. But squirrels, mm. right? Mm. You're familiar with squirrels and their body of work. <laughs> they, <laughs> their back catalogue their greatest hits well this is arguably their greatest hit they cannot die if they fall off something I'm sorry I don't is, this, is this new information to you because it was to me I think I've heard this possibly on the wind but never from an authoritative source like you yeah so you know people at bus stops <laughs> shouting at me squirrels can't die <laughs> so they just don't take fall damage at, like they can't there is nothing tall enough that a, that a squirrel will fall off it or jump off it and die because of terminal velocity so the terminal velocity being the maximum speed at which something falls out of the sky and squirrels because of their sort of surface area and mass reach a terminal velocity of 23 miles an hour that's the fastest they'll fall and they reach that speed after three seconds of falling. So right. for a squirrel, it could jump off of a pine tree. Yeah. Or it could jump off of a 17-story building. Yeah. And it reaches 23 miles an hour speed falling. Right. So it will hit the floor at the same speed no matter the height that it jumps off. So so there are if you go on YouTube, there are videos of squirrels on massive tower blocks just getting to the top and being like, well, the fastest way down <laughs> and just leaping into the abyss. And they'll just sort of brush it off and nonchalantly go about their business. So to compare a skydiver, us, we'd fall at about 120. Us and our <laughs> skydiving hobby. <laughs> we, would, we would fall at about 120 miles an hour. So, of course, without, you know, a parachute, you'd splat. But squirrels. 23 miles an hour. And I saw this great stat that was like, a squirrel could jump from 4,800 miles up in the sky, fall for six days, <laughs> and then just walk off like nothing had happened. I mean, it couldn't because the space station is 250 miles up. So you're talking about way, way, way beyond. But just a squirrel chucking <laughs> itself off the moon. <laughs> there is no, there is no. And this is, I mean, that's it. That That is the, that's the item right there. But, I heard this and I thought, this is not true. This is an internet myth. So then I dug into it and yeah, apparently squirrels, there's nothing that a squirrel can't fall off that will kill it. So they are light enough. So they're 300 grams average weight of a, of a squirrel. I know there's lots of different species, but yeah. you're talking about 300 grams. So they're light enough and they're basically spread out enough yeah. surface area wise that they always hit a 
their terminal velocity is very gentle. Yeah. That's basically it. They have a gentle terminal velocity, mm. whereas we have a high-impact yeah. terminal velocity. So when a squirrel jumps, it sort of spreads its arms and its legs out. It spreads its tail out, and it's creating a lot of drag, and it doesn't weigh very much. So the maximum speed it will reach, its terminal velocity, is 23 miles an hour, which is a speed that when it hits the floor, it can just sort of shrug off and get on with its life. Whereas our terminal velocity, 120 miles an hour, when we hit the floor... You, you know, obviously. If you hit a squirrel with a car at 23 miles an hour, though. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when an unstoppable force well, meets an, an immovable squirrel? <laughs> but yeah, that's I needed to get that out of my head. I literally learned it two days ago. And uh, I was like, I've got to tell. I've got to tell Roddy. I've got to tell the listeners. You said as well, though, that there's no building high enough. Mm. Right. Yeah. I have been fortunate enough to go up the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. Yeah. And that is a tall building. Doesn't matter. Does not matter. I, I, as long as there is enough oxygen for that squirrel to be able to breathe <laughs> in, the, yeah. in the journey, <laughs> in the journey down, then it's fine. Imagine <laughs> falling, free falling from the Burj Khalifa with no parachute and just being able to shrug it off. I think we've been sleeping on squirrels this entire time. We've been like underrating squirrels as an animal because now <laughs> they've, they've suddenly catastrophically climbed up my list of animals and my respect for them when I learnt this single fact. Is this all squirrels? Red and well, grey? So when I was trying to get to the bottom of, in general, it's just said squirrels. So mm. I was like, well, which squirrels are we talking mm. about here? The videos of squirrels jumping off of tower blocks on YouTube are mainly grey squirrels. But I imagine it would work with a red squirrel as well. That's a pretty similar body plan. Red squirrels are a bit lighter, so. But red, a red squirrel would only ever know the height of a tree mm. because they're not very urban. That's no. It's grey squirrels who have taken this. They're, they're the they're the parkour squirrels. They're the uh, the, <laughs> Yori, the Yori Gagarins <laughs> of the squirrel world, pushing beyond limits, <laughs> climbing to heights no squirrel had ever imagined. So, yeah, that was my uh, squirrel. Is there any more questions before we move on? No, I, I just want to pick at the bones of this a bit more because yeah. it suggests that living in a city at any moment, you might be dive-bombed by a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm going to be going about my life in London with a with a level of fear I'd never once thought of because at any moment, you know, I've walked past Big Ben and suddenly... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it would feel like to be hit by a squirrel at 23 miles an hour. Uh, I probably don't, less pleasant for you than the squirrel, as we've learned. I don't know if many people know. I don't know how common that... <laughs> what a question to pose to the public. What do you think it'd feel like to be hit by a squirrel at 23 miles an hour? Yeah. I'd rather be hit by a squirrel at 23 miles an hour than an elephant at yeah, 23 miles an hour. Yeah, I don't know. Hour. The terminal velocity of an elephant's got to be something to behold. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's an extinction-level event. <laughs> So what I wanted to find was sort of a list of mammals, their terminal <laughs> velocities, and where the cutoff is. Because I did find reference to the fact that mice can fall down mine shafts and wells and just walk it off. So there is a size where this seems to be a thing. Squirrels, I think, are probably on the bigger end of that. But I, w I was hoping to see sort of like what happens when you if you chuck a pine martin off a building. Like where's where's this? Who did this research? Yeah, well, I don't think anyone has. Maybe we need a how many geese investigates mammal velocity. <laughs> We're chucking various small mammals off of buildings. <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah, it does seem to be that squirrels are sort of the biggest, and they're the ones that I guess are, ju are always jumping off things. So I guess they're the one that people have gone. 
hang on. Yeah. Why is it not hurting itself when it's leaping off the top of trees and or buildings? I heard on QI, which for any international listeners, is a TV show that presents very quirky facts, that cats, so long as they're above seven stories, right. can survive the fall. Oh, that's high. Seven or nine. Because below seven stories, they sort of don't have enough time to orientate themselves they're speeding up to their terminal velocity yeah and so they hit at that but they hit in like a disorientated sense but above that they hit their terminal velocity and they've got enough time to kind of spread out and get a bit of sense about the things but whilst i may be able to survive it i've also heard from vets that cats when they have a very high fall frequently break their chins because oh. their legs can take the impact. So their legs take it, but they can't stop the shock yeah. fast enough that they bounce their head off the off the ground. So, so if vets see like cats with sort of broken chins, they think it's usually like they've had a bad fall kind oh. of thing. So I, with the squirrel, knowing what we know about cats, yeah. applying this to what we now know about squirrels, uh-huh. whilst they might be able to survive it, yeah. how are they actually, how are they impacting the ground that that means that because they... a bone a squirrel bone is surely a fragile yeah thing. but but a, a cat is going to fall at a lot faster speed than a squirrel so i think it's yeah. just the fact that they're falling at 23 miles an hour is still quite a lot but they're falling at Gentle. such a low they're hitting the ground at such a low speed that their body isn't under the sort of same sort of stress that it would be if you're a much bigger animal yeah i guess 23 miles i think like usain bolt when he's at his absolute fastest yeah did like 21 yeah. 22 miles an hour or something so yeah it's him it's erecting a wall in the middle of the 100 meter sprint suddenly in front of usain that's gonna hurt but but because he's i'm just trying to contextualize what do heavy. i know about 23 miles an hour so yeah for a squirrel they maybe they run at 23 they're fast they are fast usain bolt versus a squirrel yeah how many geese investigates off the burj khalifa <laughs> The island of Sulawesi ah. in Indonesia. Yep. We're going over there in our little, I was going to say time machine, but we're not going back that far. We're going over to Sulawesi and we're going to join British photographer David Slater. Hi, Dave. Okay. Hello, Dave. Welcome to the podcast. Has been traveling to the northeastern tip of Sulawesi for a long time. Tip of the K. Exactly. And he focuses on crested macaques that live there. So we're talking about uh, so a fairly decent size species of monkey i might be putting pieces of this together but yeah i'm really looking forward to it yeah yeah so he's going over there he's spending a lot of time with his macaques and he's a photographer and in 2011 he releases a series of images yep. through an agency with the most famous one being and i'm going to show you the picture already and i want you to describe it to the listeners it's a picture i think you'll have seen before yep that's it it is a cheeky macaque selfie it's a macaque selfie. And the macaque, they're, they're jet black, and it's got a proper little grin on. It almost looks like you can see its teeth. Nice. It's just great. Yeah. It's a macaque selfie. And it is literally, a, you know, it is a selfie of this the monkey. Yeah. has got the camera, um, and it's smiling into the lens, and it's just this perfect selfie. Yeah. So these were published under a, a sort of licensing agency in 2011. And on the 4th of July... The press really loved these pictures for their kind of, you know, feel-good sections. So it was published in The Telegraph and in The Guardian alongside quotes from David, who was talking about how he 
got these self-portraits, mm-hmm. basically. That he'd gained the trust of the macaques and he's left, he'd left a camera on a tripod within their troop and just let them play around with it. And as they were doing so, you know, they were pressing the trigger and they caught a few pictures. There were a few pictures, two in particular, that became the most famous um, selfies, but there were a few more pictures as well. So the images were massively popular. Five days later, someone took these images from the press and uploaded them to the Wikimedia Commons website. Now, pictures are only supposed to be uploaded there if they're free to use, don't have any copyright, and are in the public domain. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where the issue starts. Oh, witnesses. Because Slater, so the photographer, David, discovered that they'd been uploaded on this website. Yep. And he's like, these are my pictures. Always been rumbled. I don't like the fact that these have been uploaded. Yep. I worked very, very hard for these pictures. They're my copyright. Please take them down. Knock, knock. It's the law. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the, per- the editor who uploaded them responded by saying, no, the photographs aren't yours. They're the monkeys. Oh! You didn't take them. And as the work of a non-human animal, there is no copyright. They're in the public domain. Ooh. On guard. Yes. <laughs> so here, here starts, basically, the, the crux of the issue. Yeah. It became this massive debate about who owns the rights to these pictures. Yeah. Is this the work of the monkey? Or is this the work of David Slater? The individual person that had uploaded them to Wikimedia, which is a branch of Wikipedia, all Wikipedia that you images that you see on, on their website are taken from this kind of Wikimedia library. And the Wikimedia Foundation themselves backed this and said that copyright cannot vest in non-human authors. Uh, and therefore, when a work copyright cannot vest in a human, it falls into public domain. So they were like, this, these aren't your pictures. These are the monkey's pictures. Uh... How many geese legal special? (laughs) (laughs) So now these photos are sitting there and everybody's using them. Everybody's like, great, they're free to use. News agencies are going wild. Monkey selfies for days. days. And David starts getting a bit annoyed because he's been all the way to Indonesia. He's put years in befriending these monkeys. And now all of his hard work, he's just seeing kind of slip through his hands and he's not getting any monetary value. Monkey friendship doesn't get handed out either. You know, you really have to put in the groundwork. So this is why he's so aggrieved because he's like, I've spent ages. I've manufactured. I've, you know, I got the settings right. I did everything because we should say, he went to birthdays, yeah. <laughs> you know, he brought wine. He, you know, he was godfather yeah. to the kids. <laughs> but he did... the Lord when they were away. He was also... It wasn't... When it was first reported, this story, it was reported that the monkeys had run off with the camera and taken the pictures. But he had completely orchestrated this looking for that sort of picture. So he had put the tripod up, he'd put the settings on a wide angle lens. He was trying to get that shot that became so famous of the Mm -hmm. monkey looking down the camera and smiling. So this went higher and higher. Basically, it was him versus Wikimedia. And then the United States Copyright Office got involved. They sided with the fact that it's the monkey's image and that he can't claim any money whatsoever. Most people settled on the argument saying that no matter how much David had like engineered the scenario and put so much time and effort in, the copyright, literally because the monkey had pressed the shutter. That's what it came down to. It was like, who pressed the shutter? I'm ready to be David's legal defense here. (laughs) So he lost thousands of pounds of potential income after it was uploaded. He made about 2,000 pounds in the first year, but then he estimates he lost at least 10 grand when it went onto the public domain. And then it gets worse. Enter Peter. 
The people for the ethical treatment of oh, animals. Them. Peter. Oh, okay. So, how would you describe Peter, Roddy? Um, very active. <laughs> yeah, they're they're like. Let's be clear. When I look through the list of things that Peter do and the things that they fight for, a lot of it is very commendable. Yeah. Right. A lot of it is the appalling treatment of farm animals, animals that are using yeah. testing, yeah, yeah, animals yeah. that are using sport. No, for sure. But they are also fucking mental. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let, like, I'll just give you some examples. So they think that the word pet, they hate the word pet. They it's think, in their name. They think it's... it's <laughs> yeah. their, have they seen their name? The first Relative. fucking bit of their name is pet. <laughs> so they, they hate it. And they think it's I, der- oh. derogatory and patronizing to any animal. So who- They prefer the word animal companion or oh, companion. Get out. So... So that's that's the right. So that's Peter being a bit weird. Number one, number two, they ran three advertising campaigns relatively recently: two thousand and eight, two thousand and fourteen, two thousand and seventeen, linking children drinking milk with autism development. Despite no scientific evidence whatsoever, their tagline on the side of billboards and things was "Got autism." Oh, what? <laughs> oh, as a play on the famous "Got milk." They can't be doing that. Despite having been corrected by the entire scientific community, Peter kept the information on their website, where you can still find it, because, and in quotes, we have heard from people who have said it contains helpful information. So they've just left it there. Obviously, treat animals nicely. Mm -hmm. Let's farm well, etc. Don't, you know, inject things into other... But Christ (laughs) on a bike! Like... It's just the militant level of it. But the militant level of saying, we don't like the word pet, and it being the first bit of your (laughs) name, is just... It's quite the leap. So they also insulted Steve Irwin multiple times since his death. It's dangerous uh, now. So that, like, If they weren't on thin ice already, I mean... For his, you know, the fact that he handled animals and all this kind of stuff. But my favourite, my favourite Peter-related thing at all Mm. is... Did you see a few years ago, it might be a couple of years ago, when they released their list of alternative phrases to common sayings that we have that they think are derogatory to animals? Oh, I think so. But is it going to be things like instead of enough room to swing a cat, it will be like enough room to, I don't know. Yes. So there is a cat one. There's more than one way to skin a cat, Yeah. which they replaced with. Hang on. There's several routes to peel a banana. You're so close. More than one way to peel a potato. Oh. All right. Do you work for Peter? No, but I like this game. (laughs) Okay, so let's go again. Play along at home. Yep. Be a guinea pig. Be a test subject. Oh, be a test tube. Be a test tube. Yeah, be a test tube. Hold your horses. Keep on to your chairs. (laughs) (laughs) This one is rubbish, this one. This is just hold the phone. <laughs> Did they consider keep onto your chairs? Take the bull by the horns. Take the keyboard by the space bar. <laughs> you can tell where we're recording this. Yeah. Um, that is take the flower by the thorns. To be fair, I like that they've kept the horns... So horns, thorns. Yeah. There's... No, they're, they're, they're trying to keep it simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they've workshopped it, you know. Bringing home the bacon. Oh, getting in the jackfruit. 
<laughs> bringing home the bagels. Oh. And then my favourite, kill two birds with one stone. Oh, it's going to... Um, so hang on, they've all been... They're okay with plants. Chop two trees with one swing. Feed two birds with one scone. <laughs> From kill two birds with one stone to feed two birds with one scone. So that was Peter's. This this is just to give you an idea of Peter. Back to poor old David Slater and income Peter like a wrecking ball into David Slater's life. Why? Because he's decided to publish a book that features these macaque photographs. So everyone else is using them. So David's like, well, I'm going to use them and I'm going to make it. I'm going to try and make a bit of money. I'm going to uh, get a publisher. I'm going to publish a book that's got some of these pictures in it. Mm-hmm. So Peter come along and file a lawsuit against him, saying that... If you say on behalf of the macaque, I'm going to lose my mind. On behalf of the macaque? What? (laughs) So they come in and say that um, because the copyright belongs to the monkey, David shouldn't be able to claim... Because most of the other times that this picture is being used, it is kind of non-profit. People aren't making direct profit off it. David is selling this book that has this picture in. And they're like, that's that's not your right to sell. This is the macaque. The macaque owns the copyright. It deserves the money from this book. And they do this under a, a little loophole in the law called the next friend principle, which allows people to sue in the name of another if they are unable. Now, normally, that's if they are incapacitated yeah. or dead in a coma, not a monkey. <laughs> so the monkey gets a name i bet the legal scholars were really having to have a think that day weren't they so the monkey gets a name at this point yeah and it's called naruto oh my god i mean who what is and so begin the court proceedings of naruto et al versus david slater and you can actually go online and watch a video of them in the courts discussing this and it becomes at some stage quite existential and about if we rule one way or the other what does this mean yeah, yeah, yeah. for you know lots of other um, copyright issues? And if we set this precedent, that uh, precedent yeah. that the monkey, if we make the monkey president. <laughs> I mean, at this stage, what does that mean? With yeah. Peter in charge, yeah. if we set this precedent, what does it mean for you know so many legal ramifications going forward? But Peter, surely, 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 cannot be thinking about giving the money to the monkey. So what they argue is that. It should be going to that reserve or it should be going to right, okay. the, the conservation of the kind of macaques in their natural habitat, which, you know, that I think is fair enough. That's to, a reasonable, but, but, but I to mean, take it so far to sue somebody. Also, the whole general vibe of uh, photography books and raising awareness and there's normally a 10% goes to a reserve and you must have paid fees. Yeah. And, you know, so like, there is- yeah, I'm on board with giving money to the reserve, obviously, but. They're still crackpots. Yeah, they are. <laughs> and there is a lot of scepticism with their involvement in this case from all sorts of people basically saying, do they genuinely care or is it a publicity stunt? Well, that's what, because also when you first started it and they were like, the monkey needs the money. We're here for the ethical treatment of animals. I mean, what they're essentially doing is, you know, before it was going to the reserve and when it was going to the monkey, is that if they win the case, mm. the monkey gets the money, but the monkey then also is subjected to capitalism and needs to pay tax. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like they're saying they're doing it for the monkey, but I reckon the monkey is happier outside of the trappings of the modern world having to worry about... <laughs> filing tax returns. Exactly, and all the rest. So they're doing this with all like, oh, we're here to help the monkey. It's like... How there's a lot of people want to escape capitalism and live like a monkey. (laughs) (laughs) 
And this monkey's doing it already. I don't think they've thought it through. No, no. So how does it end? Well, eventually, David, very sadly, starts running out of money and can't really fight this much anymore. Oh, can uh, we have a, a GoFundMe? A GoFundMe for David Slater. So they reach a kind of out-of-court settlement where 25% of all future revenues from the book, from the pictures, will go to the macaques in their conservation. Okay. Um, and Peter, I kind of drop it there. That as a outcome, I think is broadly fine. Yes, I mean, I know he's I still agree. losing his money, but I'm not going to be anti-funding conservation, right? Yeah. However, the fact that David had to go through what is an insane, drawn-out, horrible yeah. process yeah. is because I start. I, I honestly started. I'd I'd heard about this story. I'd heard about the macaque, and I'd heard about the fact that this is one of the first examples. Maybe the first example, I'm pretty sure, of a picture that was deemed to not be the copyright of the person. You know, it was deemed to be free and open to access because the monkey had taken the picture. So I started looking into this as being like a really, lol, the photographer went to all this effort and Mm. then didn't get any money because the Mm. monkey stole his thunder. But then, you know, the more you read about him and what he went to go through and how much he engineered this scenario... Um, when he's describing it more in the court, he's talking about how he's literally laying there with one hand on the tripod to stop the monkeys like running away with it. He's as close as you need to be without actually pressing the trigger. But also, I mean, in all of this, in all of this, did not not that you've read every case note or whatever, but like camera traps. Yeah. How is that not been brought into the equation? Because That's, that yeah. is a human setting up the whole thing, and the machine, when the animal walks past it, triggers the camera. Right, so the idea that this is the first time a camera's ever, uh, this is the first time an animal's ever taken a picture. Surely, if you're his defence, you could just point to camera traps and be like, "All of these are property of the camera owners." Well, that's really interesting because when the U.S. Copyright Office, Roderick Shaw Esquire, (laughs) (laughs) when the U.S. Copyright Office are brought in to kind of mediate this discussion as it's blowing up between Wikimedia and David Slater, they say. Only works created by humans can be copyrighted under US law, which excludes photographs and artwork created by animals or by machines without human intervention. Is that where your camera traps fall? Hit me that again. Only works created by humans can be copyrighted under US law, which excludes photographs and artwork created by animals. So they cannot be copyrighted. Or by machines without human intervention. Without, but the camera trap surely has human intervention because it's set up. But then, so do you know? David, David set up the entire. This was the ruling to basically tell David to get back in his box and he doesn't own the copyright for this because the picture was taken without human intervention, allegedly, in that the monkey pressed the button. But you're right with a camera trap. All they're doing is walking in front of it. Hmm. So I don't know where it falls with camera traps. I don't, but I, I can't imagine anyone would fuss, uh, you know, unless you got a camera trap picture of Bigfoot. Yeah. You know, that's what, true. why you fussed about the yeah, copyright? Because I mean, they're always yeah. crap. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, this was an exceptional image. So you might be able to see um, this story relatively soon because in 2018, um, Slater gave the rights to a production company to make a documentary style film about this huh. entire story. And I just want to give a last word to David, a quote that I found, which is quite nice. If you're out there. Uh, having been dragged through, he, he talks about having spent several thousands of pounds on lawyers, he talks about giving up photography and taking up dog walking or tennis coaching or just like it, like a lot of his money. But he, he does say that he was absolutely delighted by the response the photos had themselves. 
It's taken six years for my original intention to come true, which was to highlight the plight of the monkeys and bring it to the world. No one had heard of these monkeys six years ago. They were down to the last thousands. Locals used to roast them, but now they love them and call them the selfie monkeys. Tourists are visiting and people see there is a long-term benefit to the community with having these monkeys rather than just shooting them. So, David Slater, we here at How Many Geese salute you for your work. Goose salute. Honk. It's time for that part of the show where we take one of nature's magnificent creatures and we pit it against Roddy Shaw in a fight to the death. Now, today's animal has been submitted by Tricia Patterson, who has suggested the penguin. Now, let's get to know our foe. And I have taken the liberty of picking the emperor penguin, the tallest and heaviest of all penguin species, because if we're going to pick one, let's go for the chief. Standing at about a metre tall, Weighing in around 40 kilograms, these live down in the depths of Antarctica, forming colonies in their thousands on the ice. You're probably familiar with these from March of the Penguins. They've been on the BBC series Dynasties recently. They're hardcore. They can walk up to 75 miles across the ice to get to the sea from where, where they feed from their breeding colony. And their real test of endurance comes when the female lays her egg before she passes it to the male to incubate while she returns to the sea to feed uh, to build up her conditions. And this is where the males form really tight-knit flocks, huddling with their eggs, precariously balanced on their feet, wait out the worst of the winter. We're talking no light, 120 mile an hour winds, and an average temperature of minus 20 degrees Celsius, sometimes falling to minus 50. Now, in terms of weapons, they've not got much. They've got mental fortitude, but <laughs> they've just got beak... They've got some feet that might be a bit scratchy. But the question is, Roddy Shaw, how many emperor penguins are too many emperor penguins? First of all, thank you to Trish. Mm -hmm. Trisha, lovely stuff. Penguin, great suggestion. Was really hoping that Jack might pick the fairy penguin, <laughs> <laughs> which is about the size of a bottle of water. <laughs> yeah. But no, he's gone big. Of course he has. So that leaves us with the emperor penguin. Now, do we know how big their beak is? is how long their beak is because they're they're big they're like four-year-old big right yeah so three yeah. feet they're over yeah. a meter tall yeah they're over a meter you saw you saw talking like 100 110 to 120 centimeters just over a meter so, cool. yeah just over a meter long and like you said in any kind of test of endurance they're going to beat me hands down yeah this has to be quick yeah in the water they're going to beat me hands down gotta be on land yeah in the cold they're gonna <laughs> beat me hands down yeah gotta be warm so something very quick somehow i have to end it quick can't be dragged out the way i see it is they're basically like little chubby fat spears like they've yeah. got a decent they've got a decent beak on them but other than that there's not much unless yeah. they're gonna cuddle you to death and like overheat you which I think is a distinct possibility. I think they could do that. I don't think we should rule that out. How like uh, bees? Like the bees that fight hornets. They just surround the hornet and buzz and bake the hornet. Yeah, I think a, I think a colony of emperor penguins is capable of doing that to a human. I also think that, but I don't want that to happen. No. <laughs> as cosy as it might sound. It does sound cosy. Sounds very nice. I think it's a real cop-out to say, like, oh, a desert. Mm. Um, and also, I am pale of skin. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, you're harming yourself, I think, to take them to a desert. Swamp? I wouldn't do good in a swamp. Sauna? Sauna. Here it's we go. It's not dry heat, is it? So you're you're not going to burn. I'm not going to cook out, but they're going to... They're going to they're gonna get uncomfortable very quickly. But how good is their mental fortitude? It is good. 
good. <laughs> they're like they're almost sort of like the SAS of the bird world. I feel like in terms of, you know, when you see, don't know if you've seen SAS Who Dares Wins, when they're getting like interrogated and put through it and they have to sort of go to this mental space where no amount of sort of physical or mental pain affects them. I feel like that's what an emperor penguin's bringing to the table. And they do it without food as well. I was thinking, could oh, this yeah. actually be like a 1v1 where, because saunas are obviously popular in Scandinavia, mm. where it's literally, I'm in a sauna with a big window. Yeah. On the other side in the cold is an emperor penguin and we're just staring each other out. <laughs> Maybe we do that and switch places. Maybe <laughs> yeah. that's it. So it's me in the cold and the penguin in the heat. Yeah. And it's just who can... <laughs> who break, who taps out. Who taps out first. <laughs> Maybe it's a different one. Maybe this is such a test of mind over matter. It's not physical, it's mental. That I have to meet the penguin at its own game somehow. To truly challenge myself. Because to say to the penguin, like I said, I could, we could use the rules of the game here and say, oh, I'm going to take 100 penguins to the desert and, you can, and yeah. kick them with a camel. Yeah. You know, and it'd be like, oh. But have you really? What have you achieved ha, ha, ha. there? You know, but inside I'd know that this penguin could beat me at the long game so i have to beat the penguin at the mind game this is the first battle of mind yeah and it's with a penguin (laughs) i think it's a 1v1 yeah me in the cold penguin in the sauna glass wall between us Mm -hmm. and but are you saying are you going to experience the penguin's level of cold Penguin, oh, God, the, no. the penguin the <laughs> penguin sits through 120 for months on end 120 mile an hour winds and an average temperature of minus 20 sometimes to minus 50 okay <laughs> <laughs> i've been in minus five yep. minus 10 how hot's a sauna 40 yeah something like that 34 a penguin has never been in that yeah so i have some level of awareness of cold yeah this penguin is going in blind to 40 degree heat i see also i want the air in this sauna to be so still (laughs) (laughs) so far away from 120 mile an hour winds yeah that this penguin is unnerved by the sheer stillness of the air. <laughs> it's never known anything like it. <laughs> so we're saying one penguin in a battle of mental fortitude. One penguin in a sauna, me in the cold. Game on. So we've got a question here from listener Martin Clarkson. Hi, Martin. Who wants to know, you've got to take the ring to Mordor. Oh, yes. Which animal... <laughs> Do you choose to complete your journey? Can I just say, Martin has read the room impeccably. I like this one. So that question, once again, you've got to take the ring to Mordor. Which animal do you choose to complete your journey? I think we should rule out giant eagles. Yeah, no. Straight away. Yeah, any any Middle-earthy thing is off the table. I'm not giving the animal to the ring no. to complete the journey. So I think it's an accomplice. So instead of Samwise, yeah. you've got can choose your other so we then i guess have to think what did samwise bring to the table mm. um, i mean he carried the entire team right let's no, be honest obviously. frodo was the most useless person that <laughs> <laughs> could possibly have been given the ring so we, what we're looking for dependability loyalty we don't want them getting swayed by the power of the ring no i think we're looking for something that's sort of pure of heart pure of heart nothing that skulks yeah mm. okay yeah we're ruling out all of the skulking creatures of the earth. Yeah. 
It's got to be sturdy. The other bit I'm thinking is in the movies, when they get to the mines of Moria, they have to let the little pony go back. So that then suggests that that was sturdy and dependable and loyal, mm. but couldn't hack it in... Couldn't hack it in the mines. You know, so this animal has to be all-terrain enough yeah. to, to handle it. Yeah, everything. I think it's got to be all-terrain. You're yeah. crossing, you know, swamps and... So we can rule out dolphins. <laughs> yeah, I think we're, we're firmly in the terrestrial zone. I'm also going to enact the third law of geese. Right. Which is no great apes. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that's sort of a get out of jail. Yeah. I don't know what the first and second law of geese are. I'm hoping they can <laughs> come to me over the course of... Although, I don't know, would a, a chimpanzee would stab you in the back for the ring? It wouldn't be a chimp, it'd be an orangutan. You think a gorilla? Possibly... An orangutan, I feel like, is more sort of the wizard that dwells in the woods. Yeah, and I'd take that. And I guess they're much more... Gorillas, much more on the ground. Yeah. You know? Orangutan is going to want to swing. Yeah. I can just see a gorilla beating up some orcs. That's the only reason I'm sort of thinking that. I'm also thinking this animal is going to have to deal with Gollum, because he's still in the picture. I guess so, yeah. And Sam was pure of heart. It was very pure. Kind of, he saw through Smeagol's bullshit. And... um, the last thing I'm wondering is, can this animal in any way do something against Shelob? Because at the end, giant spider. I'm thinking from the opposition side, what are they bringing? They're bringing a giant spider. They're bringing a giant spider. But we don't have, we can't have, I'm saying this animal has to be, we can't have giant crow. Yeah, giant parasitic wasp. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's eggs in spiders. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do like the idea of just having a parasitic wasp in a jar. So when you meet Shelob, you just go, have some of that. Uh-huh. Aha! <laughs> On guard, giant spider. I will wait two to three weeks for the larva to hatch and eat you from the inside. Right. So we've got third law of geese. Animal can't be the changed of size. And it has to be all terrain. So it can't be... Oh, have I got it? I'll be honest. I'm struggling. I th- gave this one some thought and nothing immediately sprung to mind goat (laughs) now i know you're laughing but can a goat carry stuff yes yes they're sturdy we know they're insanely all-terrain because they can climb anything anything yeah the damn climbing goats right yeah good shout it's going to be able to eat anything so it's going to be able to survive in all the places yeah it Slap Gollum about It'd the take place. No shit from <laughs> <Yeah>. Gollum. <laughs> Absolutely put him in his fucking corner. The only problem is our goat's pure of heart. I don't know whether we're going to find an animal that ticks all these boxes, okay? So there's yeah. going to have to be a compromise. Yeah. Would you risk it with a goat? Would you risk it with a goat? <laughs> they can't wear the ring, so I don't think they're going to lust for it themselves. Oh, I see. You know, a goat's not going to stab you in the back for the ring. You could put it on its horn. You could put it on its horn. Well, does it still have? The, does it still turn you invisible? I don't know how. Is there anything worse than a goat trying to attack you? It's an invisible goat trying to attack you. <laughs> Hunted by an invisible goat is a horror movie that needs to be made. Genuinely, I think goats are a good one. And I'd go for, like, those markor or whatever that live in the Tibetan mountains. Oh, we're going big goats. Something like... I mean, they almost look Lord of the Ringsy yeah. in themselves, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, so I'm going for some sort of... Asian mountain goat. Okay, so let's have Asian mountain goat as the ideal, the baseline, the trusty, the sturdy. Uh-huh. Ticks a lot of Sam's boxes. Some may say a bit pedestrian, but we're throwing in the Asian mountain angle yeah. and we're spicing it up with a markor. Markor. Yeah. Right. Now the rules are off. Raccoon. 
<laughs> raccoon would stab you in the back. Raccoon would fucking stab you in the raccoon back. Raccoon would take the ring yeah. and walk it right up to Sauron himself. The, in response for a bag full of rubbish. Yeah. Uh, in, in, uh, <laughs> An old bean tin. So I guess almost worst animal. I think a chimp. Essentially what you've got there is two Smeagles. Yeah. <laughs> By having a chimp, you've got an unpredictable thing that would maybe help you on one hand, stab you in the back on the other hand, would wake up one morning and not decide which side it's going to be on. Yeah, it'd clunk some rocks together and put a stick in a termite hill and be like, I got you a snack. <laughs> and then the next day, it'd just rip your arm off. I think something which embodies Samwise. Have you ever seen Narnia? Yeah. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm -hmm. There's a bit in that where they get like adopted almost by some friendly beavers. Be yeah, okay. Like that. There's a yeah. there's a comfort to a beaver. Yeah, that's but true. <laughs> it's just gonna want to build build dams, dams the whole way. Yeah. You know, you're gonna be like, we gotta we gotta keep this moving. <laughs> yeah. They're like, but there's free flowing water here that yeah. needs to be. We have to <laughs> stop it. But you couldn't take a beaver to meet an ant. No. That. There's an issue there. There's <laughs> yeah. an issue developing. Chewing on his a leg. Conflict of interest. Yeah. Or like the big tanky animals that I'm thinking of. Imagine rocking up with like a polar bear, mm. grizzly bear, mm. and just fuck up your enemies. But it's equally as likely to fuck you up. Yeah, that's the bit is the pure of heart. Yeah. Maybe like a big pig. Like a big <laughs> pig. Not quite wild boar, because yeah. I think wild boar, you're veering into mm. stab you in the back territory, mm. but a big pig. Like warthog big or bigger than... No, warthogs bigger, are... Yeah, warthogs like are small, aren't they? Big Labrador or something. Yeah. I'm talking big big, big... big pig, but not boar. Big pig. Big pig, but not wild boar. Like farm... Like you see the size of some farmyard pigs. They're yeah. huge. Yeah. I bet that could carry some stuff. It could dig up like truffles... It's I like that you thought of the carrying stuff. That's good. Why? Just because the the whole it climaxes with, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. So if this mm. animal can't carry Frodo or us, what's I don't point? quite know. You know, what's the point? Because you're going to get all the way with a trusty rabbit, and then at the last minute, you just it's just going to watch you pass out <laughs> on the edge of a volcano and be yeah. like, "Well, <laughs> hoppity bye." <laughs> this animal has to be strong Bigger. enough to carry you yeah big mountain goat big mountain goat thank you everybody for listening to this episode of how many geese we hope you enjoyed it and we really appreciate everyone listening uh, the people that have written in with animals for us to fight and questions and um, please do keep listening keep engaging keep sharing uh, and keep doing all the stuff you know that helps us podcasts out it's 100 percent true the kind of stuff you hear that word of mouth is so useful so do let anyone know you think might be interested um and as jack said we really appreciated it so give us both a follow i'm at slideshow rod on instagram and i'm at jab adams j a badams and we hope you tune in next week thank you bye